What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, so if you turn in your Bibles to Ruth, Ruth, Book of Ruth, Give you a little time. Find that obscure book in the Bible. It was in there last week. It should still be in there. Okay. Book of Ruth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the, the time that you took and the effort that you gave when you wrote down the book of Ruth for us. And Lord, we know that it's for our times now. It's for our lives now. It's for our days now. And so help us, Lord, to apply what you wrote for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I read this text, please not only follow along, but look carefully at certain emphasis which God has put here in the text as I read this to draw, because God wants to draw our attention to certain things he wants to see. And I'm going to try to, in reading, to put emphasis on, on what may appear to be redundant but, but they're not redundant. They're, they're emphasis that God has put to draw our attention. So follow along here in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be, or thy people is my people. Thy God is my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was so steadfastly minded, to go with her. Then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And then she said unto them, call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. 
the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home em again empty. Why then call you me Naomi? Naomi means pleasant. Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. Say, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, and returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Eli Melech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn or grain after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field of the reapers and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Eli Melech. Now, so far in our study in the book of Ruth, we've seen in verse 1 a terrible famine in the land of Israel. That famine hit so hard that God's Jewish people were afflicted, and then we saw in verse 1 a critical decision of a very prominent man named Eli Melech and his wife Naomi to leave the land of Israel, and God's people. That was a wrong decision. And that decision was based on a sincere hope that they had of a new beginning, of a new future, of a new prosperity in the land of Moab, the enemy of the Jews. And then we saw, in verse 3, a first tragic knockdown of this family, which was the death of the father, Eli Melech. And then we saw, in verse 4, the, a first attempt to rise up and make that dream a new life, of new life in Moab, a reality. And the two sons then, we saw they took wives of the women of Moab. The sons thought, after all, our father, Eli Melech, he would not have wanted us to sink into an abyss of depression over his death he would have wanted us to continue his dream of the new life in Moab. He would have wanted us to get married. He would have wanted us to have children. He would have wanted us to build a new future here. So the one son marries a Moabitess named Orpah, and the other son marries a Moabitess named Ruth. And then we saw in verse 5 a second tragic knockdown again, which was the death of the first son, and then we saw a third tragic knockdown in which was the death of the second son, verse 5, and then we saw in verse 6 just a giving up, a giving up of the dream. As Naomi now, the widow and the one who's lost her children, she gives up the family dream of a new life in Moab, and she decides to return to the land of Israel, and then we saw in verses 7 through 14 a push away, a pushback as Naomi wanted to go back to Israel alone without her Moabite daughters-in-law. And then we saw in verse 14 a clinging of Ruth the Moabitess to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And then we saw in verses 17 through 18 a confession of faith, a wonderful confession of faith. We didn't know this. But Ruth the Moabitess, she says that, that God's people, Naomi's people, are now her people. And, and, and Ruth the Moabitess, she says, she says, now, Naomi's God, the Lord God, is now her God. Then we saw, in verses 20 through 21, a depression. 
a very real depression, as Naomi then tells the people, tells her people of Bethlehem that God has dealt very bitterly with her, and she shouldn't be called pleasantness, which is what Naomi means. She shouldn't be called that. She should be called bitter. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> if your name was pleasant, say, just call me bitter. And, and then she says, I went out full, and the Lord brought me home again empty, which was really just the opposite of what happened was just the opposite of what happened. In reality, Naomi and Eli Melech, they, when they left Israel, the people of God, and they, and they left the land of Israel, they weren't full, they were empty because they had turned their back on God's people in the land. In reality, Naomi, when, she didn't come back empty, Naomi came back full because of Ruth, but she didn't recognize that. And then we read in verse 21, they saw she, when she says this, I, you know, I went out full and the Lord brought me back empty. When we read that, we, we want to jump in and say, Naomi, Naomi, you don't understand. You went out in the emptiness of a bad dream. That was not God's plan for your life. And God was so gracious to you that he brought you back full because you don't appreciate that treasure that you have in Ruth next to you. Isn't that true of us? Isn't that true of us? How when we think it's the worst time in our lives, that's the best time. That's the best time. I love what Ed Landry said about his months of going through the chemotherapies at the University of Washington Hospital for his acute myeloid leukemia, same thing Cheryl had, when he said his worst days were his best days. And because those are the time, the worst days in the chemo, when God met him, and that was the closest to him. And then we walked with Naomi, we walked with Ruth at the end of chapter 1 and verse 22 as they, were, as they left the land of Moab and they came into Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And that brings us now to verse 1 where we read, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Eli Melech. That's a repetition, by the way, because her husband was Eli Melech, so obviously it was a family of Eli Melech, but it's being emphasized to us. Uh, and his name was Boaz. And so up until this point in our history, the acting persons on the stage here have been women. It's been primarily Ruth and Naomi. But now on the stage emerges a man, Boaz. Now God the artist. He's going to paint for us a picture, a portrait, of who this man Boaz is. And so he takes the paint, the brush here, and he's painting this portrait, and we're going to see this is the model of an ideal Israel, Israelite man. This is the model of an ideal head of a family. This is a model of an ideal landlord. So with verse 1, we have this introduction of the person who's going to be the deliverer. He's going to be a deliverer. Boaz is going to deliver Ruth and Naomi. And so what our verse tells us and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. Now, this word kinsman, here, and I don't want you to misunderstand. This word kinsman is not the usual word for kinsman. You may have heard of the Hebrew word goel for kinsman. That's not the word. That's not the word that's used here. In fact, this is a unique word for kinsman, which is moda or meyeda, meyeda as it is here. And this word literally means an acquaintance. So the word moda, emphasizes that we're talking about a distant, a very distant relative. So right away from the word moda, God is emphasizing to us that there is a great distance between Naomi and Boaz as far as being a relative is concerned. 
You know, Naomi can't, can't go to her boys and say, oh, I'm your close relative. You got to take care of me. She can't do that. And so notice in verse 1 how God continues to emphasize the distance between Boaz and Naomi by not only telling us that she's a far quaint, a far relative, but the emphasis here is that he's a kinsman of her husband's. It's not even her, her relative, but it's a, she's a, he's a far acquaintance of her husband's. And, and that would be, and of course, Eli Melk, that's Naomi's husband, who, who's not even alive anymore. And again, notice in verse 1 how there is, as I was pointing out here, this repetition again, as we're told, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, and we understand that Naomi's husband was Eli Melech, but then again, notice in verse 1, it's repeated with the words of the family of Eli Melech, who's dead. So that repetition is further emphasizing to us that Boaz is not even a relative of Naomi, but a distant relative of her deceased husband. So in verse 1, it's telling us that Boaz is a distant relative of her late husband, Eli Melech. So from verse 1, when we read this thing, what happens to us is we feel this remoteness of Boaz to Naomi. And all this is emphasizing this remoteness, remoteness here of Boaz to Naomi, and it shows us right off the bat that Boaz is an unlikely deliverer. He's an unlikely deliverer. That's the whole point of the first part of verse 1 here, that Boaz is not a likely deliverer for Naomi. So we can title verse 1, this introduction here of Boaz, as Boaz the unlikely deliverer. And, but even though Boaz was an unlikely deliverer, he was God's chosen deliverer. He was God's chosen deliverer. So the title, Boaz the unlikely deliverer, that reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, in fact, just as Boaz was the unlikely deliverer, so Jesus was the unlikely deliverer. See, the unlikeliness of the Lord Jesus Christ as a deliverer, that's described for us in Isaiah 53, 2, where it says, he'll grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. His appearance didn't look like a deliverer. What did he look like? He looked like a tender plant. He looked like a root out of the middle of some dry ground. How does, a, how does that look, a root out of dry ground? He wasn't impressively shapely. It says he has no form. And when people looked at him, they didn't see any outward beauty. So that the testimony is that, well, you know, when we see him, there's just no beauty. We, just, we don't desire him. And on the cross, when people saw his face and his form, there's a word uh, that's used to how they felt. And it's given to us in Isaiah 52, 14, where it says, as many as were astonished, astonied. I like astonied better than astonished because astonied sounds more like a stone, you know? I mean, they just were like, they look like, look like a stone. They're astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. They were just astonished. They looked like a stone. And they never saw a person's face look like that before. They never saw a person's face so marred, disfigured, so damaged. They never saw that. They were astonished at how disfigured his body was on the cross. No one ever seen a body that was that disfigured before. And as he was there on the cross, he looked so much like an unlikely deliverer. He didn't look like a deliverer. On the cross, he looked like such an unlikely deliverer that, that one of the thieves said, 
You've got so many problems yourself. Take care of your own problems, then take care of ours. In Luke 23, 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. See, the world saw him as an unlikely deliverer. As it says in John 1.10, he was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And even, so even though he's in the world, the world's made by him, the world doesn't see their creator, the world doesn't see their deliverer. His own Jewish people, when they saw him, they saw, that's an unlikely deliverer. As it says in the next verse in John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. His own Jewish people looked at him and they said, He's an un he looks like an unlikely deliverer. The Jewish leaders, they saw him as an unlikely deliverer when they said in John 9, 29, we know that God spake unto Moses, but as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And when the time came for the Jewish people to choose to reject him, they looked at him and they said, no, that can't be our deliverer. We'll choose Barabbas, a robber, instead. Crucify him in John 18, 40. Then they all cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas, and Barabbas was a robber. But the point of verse 1 is that even though Boaz was an unlikely deliverer for Naomi, Boaz was God's choice for the deliverer. And that's true of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though the Lord Jesus Christ looked like an unlikely deliverer, God chose him to be the deliverer from our sins. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ was given by God as our deliverer, as it says in Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And when we read in the Gospels, there's two words, whenever we read these two words, of Nazareth, to describe the Lord Jesus Christ, it's emphasizing how unlikely a deliverer he was. And that's what Nathaniel said in John 1.46. Nathaniel said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip says, you got to come see for yourself. Come and see. Love that. Come and see. Went to a church one time down in the south of France, just a small little church, kind of behind some building, group of saints. I still remember to this day the pastor standing up there, and it's the way he held his Bible as he preached. He held that like his precious book. It was just so, so. Anyway, the name of the church was Viennevois. Come and see. That's the name of the church. Come and see. <laughs> Be nice for our church, right? What's the name of your church? Come and see. <laughs> or when Paul asked God who he was, and then he replied in Acts 22.8, and I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. I am Jesus, the unlikely deliverer. And the unlikeliness of him as a deliverer was emphasized by the sign over his cross, which said in John 19, 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So the Hebrew words that we read about Boaz, it says here, he's the unlikely deliverer. But then it says something more about him. He says he's a mighty man of wealth. Really, I don't know why they translate it that way, the mighty man of wealth. They didn't ask me. I wasn't there for them to ask, but anyway. It's not a better mighty man of valor. It's the same Hebrew phrase that's used of Gideon in Judges 6.12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Not wealth. And the same Hebrew phrase was used to describe Boaz was also used to describe Jephthah in Judges 11.1. Jephthah the Gileadite, a mighty man of valor. And he was the son of a harlot. 
The phrase has nothing to do with wealth or property. But anyway, we see his name in verse 1 as Boaz, as, as it means, as we've seen, the, the son of strength, the son of strength. It's interesting about Boaz because his mother, Boaz's mother, is told to us who she was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ when it says in Matthew 1, 5 through 6, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and so forth. So Boaz was the son of the harlot, Rahab. Rahab, the harlot, is in God's book of Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, where it says in Hebrews 11.31, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And James speaks of how Rahab proved her faith when it says uh, in James 2.25, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she that received the messengers and sent them away another way. See, in each of these cases, she's called Rahab the harlot. See, the eternal word of God is referring to Rahab, is always calling Rahab, Rahab the harlot. Now, if you and I were Rahab, <laughs> we might just say, can we just drop those last two words? Can, can we just refer to me as maybe Rahab? Does it always have to be Rahab the harlot? You know, do, do, when do I ever get to be referred to as Rahab and not Rahab the harlot? Can I ever get just to that? Well, you know, she's not the only one with these kind of requests. I mean, look at Ruth. She's referred to in our book in Ruth 121, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, and then Ruth 2.2, and Ruth the Moabitess said unto her. I mean, she's already said, my, your people is my people. Why do I have to be, keep on be calling called Ruth the Moabitess? And Ruth 2.21, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth 4.5, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth 4.10, Ruth the Moabitess. And so Ruth would say, can we just drop those last two words already? Let's get us old. You know, can I just be Ruth? You know, and, and how about us? You know, we are sinners saved by grace. And so like Rahab and Ruth, we would say, can we drop the sinners part and just have to be just the saved by grace? That would be nice. Can't we just be known as saved by grace? Do we have to always be called sinners all the time? Why is Rahab always referred to as Rahab the harlot and Ruth always as Ruth the Moabitess and we're referred to as sinners saved by grace? Why? For the glory of God. That's why. It shows the grace of God that he saved a harlot and made her through Boaz to be in the line of the Messiah. It shows the grace of God that he saved a Moabitess and made her to be in the line of the Messiah. Anyone who sa anyone says, Rahab the harlot, Ruth the Moabitess, they're shining up the trophies of the grace of God. That's what they're doing. Referred to Rahab as Rahab the harlot and to Ruth as Ruth the Moabitess is referring to what Rahab and Ruth used to be. And that's such an encouragement to us because we say, I've been such a failure in life. I've been such a failure in life. What can God ever do with me? The answer is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, such a list, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor homosexuals, effeminate, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Rahab was a harlot, Ruth was a Moabitess, but they're washed, they're sanctified, they're justified. And like them, we were sinners, but we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. And so God takes these two, 
son of a harlot, Boaz, Ruth the Moabitess, and he says, I just found my great-grandparents of King David. They're going to be Boaz, the son of the har Rahab the harlot, and Ruth the Moabitess. Put them in line as the great-grandparents uh, of David and in the line of the Savior is going to save us sinners. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.